Hey everyone, Sloan here with sort of a crossover episode for those of you who track the world of money podcasts. Our guest in this episode is Mary Childs, who some listeners may recognize as one of the many voices behind NPR's excellent Planet Money podcast. She's also the author of The Bond King, a look at the life and legacy of PIMCO founder Bill Gross, the unusual organization that he built, and the fixed income market that it came to dominate. Our conversation starts by talking about why stocks are dumb, and then really zeroes in on the elements of operational alpha that made the firm what it is. We also touch on what Bill Gross's success means for the neurodiverse community and what she's learned about being a legendary investor in the process of writing her book. That conversation starts about 13 minutes into this podcast, but don't skip our banter. That's lame. Uh, maybe also transphobic? I don't know. Um, Ashby and I talked about the work that sovereign development funds are doing to build resilience in places like Egypt and Indonesia, then finished out the podcast by talking about the hard things in our life, taking questions from listeners, and, as always, giving you an honest-to-God gardening tip. If you'd like to ask a question in an upcoming episode, please write to us. The email is freemoneypod at gmail.com. And if you would like to ask a question, and if you wouldn't like to ask a question, but you would like to do me a favor, I imagine that there are several of you out there like that, um, go ahead and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps other people find the show and is a really nice way to manifest some positive vibes. Before I kick things over to everyone's favorite disclosure pirate, I'll just mention that this episode of the Free Money Podcast has, is brought to you by our friends at Cordicius, who are experienced doulas to investment offices navigating digital transformation. Cordicius focuses on your data so you can focus on alpha. For more info, visit CordiciusLLC.com. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, Free Money Podcast listeners! I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their owns, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where invest vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted, and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money! Here we go, money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is probably going to be... Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. <laughs> what? What are we doing here? What? Um, it's where we give you the Brooklyn Bay Area connection that you, about institutional investing, duh, that you literally you crave. know more about these institutions and how they invest. Yeah, like, like, wait a second. You're telling me that there are a bunch of institutions, old investors that like control the market? No Stop. doubt. And they are Stop. institutionalized, not in the sense that they're locked up I mean, in prison, but that they are doing their jobs <laughs> in a routine way that we can learn about and explain to you. Well, yeah, and, and and you know, of course, the uh, the the picayune details of these processes are outrageously influential, right? Because we're talking, of course, about we are one hundred and forty of them, um, which you know, 
not not much money to me, not much money to you, I know, Ashby, but, you know, I think, like, eh, a trillion here, a trillion there. I'm still up. trying to figure out what my Dogecoin is worth. Is it trillions? Is it zero? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really, you know, the thing about crypto that I think is, like, you know, really magical that we lost altogether was there was a moment like in, you know, maybe 2017, where a whole bunch of people who sold drugs in like five years ago were suddenly yeah, rich for no apparent reason. Uh, <laughs> because they had a whole bunch of residual crypto going on. And, and like, honestly, I miss the magic of that. I, I am willing to admit, especially now that it's exploding, uh, that I never really bought any crypto. Um, I was not a big crypto mm. investor. And, uh, and so it feels like we're moving back to the natural order of things as, as crypto kind of unravels. I saw that OpenSea, this is not my news, but I'll share with you. Um, <laughs> OpenSea, which is a crypto NFT trading platform that was like valued at many billions of dollars. It was the, the shit. It was the future of finance. It was everything. Yeah. It was trading. Yeah. Trading, it turns out, on OpenSea is down a little bit. Um, this quarter, ninety nine percent. Ninety nine. I mean, like that's you know what's a little bit of a liquidity <laughs> evaporation among friends. They're buying it for the art, though. You know, they're not gonna. They're not. They're long term investors. Yeah. Yep. You know, because we all need I, they, a gorilla I, slash monkey version of ourselves out there, and that's where you go get that. Speaking. Speaking of gorilla versions of ourselves, like uh, this is another. I mean, you know, we didn't plan to go into Sorry. making fun of crypto, but why not? It's here. <laughs> yeah, it's available we, to us. I don't even know how we got here. Oh, I made a joke about trillions of dollars of Dogecoin. Anyway, uh, tell me. Oh yeah, yeah, well, but so like so Eminem and another performer whose name escaped me performed as their board ape like avatars at the VMA. And like the reaction from everyone was like, "Wow, this is the yes. lamest thing." I did not see a single positive tweet uh, about that, and I saw lots of tweets. Yeah, it's like it's like the Mark Zuckerberg thing, where he's like this, you know, like neutered, like you know, corporate stooge in the meta in, yeah. the, in the metaverse. It's like, do, do you really think this is like a cool I know. thing? He needs to put more sunblock on and uh, get back out that or get back out there on that surfboard with the flag. <laughs> I mean, you know, like uh, just a quick tip for Mark Zuckerberg for my pals in the trans community. I mean, if you're going to create an online avatar, you might as well be an anime True. girl. I mean, it's just like everyone does it. It makes it perfect seems sense. like it would. Anyway. So I do have some news. Um, and really? I each have three bits of news that I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit in before a certain guest arrives for our big famous crossover mm. episode. <laughs> All the money podcasts mm. be coming together. Woo, mm. building that suspense. Uh, I'll fold these into two news stories. The first one, let's talk about the sovereign development funds. Sovereign development funds, a category mm. of sovereign wealth fund as defined by the International Monetary Fund is around 2008. Uh, the development fund has a dual objective, mm -hmm. which is why I spend so much time studying these organizations. They want to drive development and return and the way they drive development is by driving return because in driving return um they attract capital into their geographies and these funds are popping up all over the world 
Mm. They uh, there's one in Russia, there's one in India that's been very successful. There's one now in Indonesia, and that's one of my little news items. Indonesia has just announced that they're striking a deal um, to expand the Belawan port in Sumatra Island, uh, which sounds like a nice port and a nice place. I think I've actually been to Sumatra. Um, Palembang. I have been to Lovely. Palembang, which is a place on the island of Sumatra, mm. I believe, if I know my geography. But they are doing a $7.5 billion deal, the Indonesian Investment Authority, with Dubai ports. And that's a big deal. That's bigger than the fund size itself, I believe. Equally interesting, Egypt has recently set up one of these funds. And there was news out this week that they have already, and I think this organization in Egypt has only been going for about eight months, They've announced they've already attracted $3.3 billion from other sovereign wealth funds into Egypt this year since they've launched. Coming from Saudis, hmm. coming from Qatar, and the UAE. And so I just it's just fascinating to me. I feel like this is a brand new policy tool that all the countries are now using to catalyze domestic markets and attract capital. Well, yeah, and like, you know, the the things that that come to mind for me with when I think of those two countries is like, gosh, are those places in need of some foreign direct for investment? Sure. Right now? Um, you know, like Egypt, huge food importer, you know, Indonesia, huge energy importer. Uh like both of those places like you know, really having a balance of payments issue right now. And like, wow, how cool that you can sort of shore up the case for domestic, for investing domestically, attract some institutional investors and, you know, kind of plug that gap. It's an, you know, that's neato. And and I, I think like when you said $7 billion in Indonesia, I'm, I'm, I have a little bit of a one track really? mind. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking of the thing. <laughs> what thing? <laughs> You know the thing, the thing, the 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 uh, you know that time that oh, it's, it was that that was Malaysia, not Indonesia. <laughs> what did just tell me? What it... yeah, I I, I think you know that one MDB. Like oh, the, that was you know, Malaysia. Yes. That, so yeah, nearby the, neighbors. That was Malaysia, <laughs> which is not Indonesia. And in, you know, don't 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 get it twisted yeah. out there, folks. So the the one MDB, which is a nearby sovereign development fund to the Indonesian one. Um, there's a Netflix special about it and you never want to be in a Netflix special. I think I've come to decide. Yeah. Yeah. Like the free money Netflix special is going to yep, be yep. the story of how we really effed up something. Yeah. Or how like, you know, due to weird incentives in the media business, like, you know, our, what our, our stupid podcast became much more profitable than the investing. And we just got a, like a, a CGI yeah. budget. That, that... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, oh, my last news. Okay, this is fast. CalPERS, one of our favorite big American pension CalPERS, plans. We know We've them. had many people related to the CalPERS on the show. CalPERS is out there telling managers to get diverse. They're pushing the managers. They're collecting data. <laughs> they see value. And for those of you who don't know, CalPERS, um, and this story taught me this fact, is being led by three women right now. Now you knew about the two. You knew about the two. Huh. Um, 
We've got Nicole Musico is the chief investment officer. We've got Marcy Fro- Frost, former guest on the show. Alumnus. She broke a lot of news of on here podcast. that actually yeah. ended up in Reuters. Yep. Uh, yep. Board president is a woman named Teresa Taylor. And so the three leaders of this organization came together on a panel recently, which was where the news came from. And Nicole was really pushing um, to say, look, if we can do it, you can do it. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. They're going to they've launched a whole bunch of data collection efforts around this. And then, you know, maybe you'll manage what you measure. That's my last news, which I think is newsworthy. I mean, like. I think that's quite newsworthy. I mean, the, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, I think like, you know, as a, like an emerging manager, you know, like the, the answer to addressing diversity in the investment business is often another form. Um, so I'm always like, oh no, oh, another yeah. initiative. Oh, <laughs> you just, how about just having um, a role model? You know, that's why I do a lot of these consulting projects oh, yeah, around would... the world. It's like, rather than telling people what to do, show them what, what to do, and then they can be a role model. Toppers is a role mm. model. Three women leading that organization. Yeah. My gosh. Go back seven years to the conferences, you know, the conference circuit, as it were. It's all dudes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, yeah, I mean, speaking of another oh, hello. Dude, I mean, guess who we got? In the show, it's the one and only Empty Mary Childs. Oh, and she's Technical got glitch. a giant cutout of the Bond we King right Hi. behind Hi. her. Oh. <laughs> Hi. We were admiring your cardboard cutout thank of your you, book. Thank you for knowing that it's a cardboard cutout because a lot of people are like, oh my God, your book. And I'm like, do you think it's that big? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've got a very <laughs> really big, big version of my book here. Yeah, exactly. I just want you to, <laughs> to admire the largeness of my of my book. Um all right, I've noted. This is a no video podcast. It's no video. It's a, no no one will ever okay, see so this video because I I keep being in podcasts where I'm like looking off to the side, and I didn't know that makes you look very unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> now I know, and a little cross-eyed. Like I'm just like, okay, that's an important lesson. You're supposed to be back here. You, you could have your ring light. I don't have it. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We wanted to create a safe space for unhinged people. Um, you do not look unhinged or cross-eyed right now. So that's the good news for the listeners. That means so much to me. Thank you. Yes, all of the listeners will know that I look Normal. not that unhinged today. Well, and you also wrote a great book. And I, I got to say, like, I, the, I, you know, I, so I'm reading The Bond King. I, you know, I, I don't have the giant cardboard cutout. Yes. I have, you know, the Kindle yeah. version. Um, not yet. That's a good point. Um, but I get to this sentence where you're, where, you know, it's like, people think stocks are more fun, but my, in my opinion, they are wrong. Yeah. Stocks <laughs> are dumb. Um, so that yeah. seems a little mean. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have gotten some feedback from some stock investors on that one. Interesting. On that, on that point. Um, here, let me get closer to my, but like, but like why, but you have a point though. I do. Thank you. I completely agree <laughs> with you and myself. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it would be surprising if the structure that is our financial institution allowed us to actually play, right? Like that would run counter to some of the things that I think we know about our beloved institutions. And I think that, um, 
this is one of those cases where like we're allowed in the stock market we're allowed to have like our teeny weeny slivers of like equity ownership <laughs> and like we think that we're in the game we're not yeah. in the game like we're at the kids table this is ridiculous they're, they're letting us play around and like watch cnbc for like carl icon to say something which like that's fun like that's just entertainment we're akin to like gladiator exactly like that's what that is and then meanwhile there's like an actual room with powerful people not always smoking cigars but it's happened mm-hmm. you know like i do think that like the okay mo- i think pimco did have a cigar tradition for a while when they closed a new account but um, nice. bill gross hated smoke oh so they they did away with that um but it is you know the bond market is bigger it's more influential it's where you know, you can go in and take someone's assets because they said so in the documents. Yeah. It's you hand over the keys. Like it's just a it's a, you know, I don't know, call James Carville for more details. <laughs> I feel right? like also bond market feels like Wild West, you know, like there's still mm. there's it's still not quite as digitized. And I know this isn't mm-hmm, the next right. question you were expecting, but it is wild out there that <laughs> How how untechnologized the bond market actually is compared to the stock market, yeah. and and that's why people can kind yeah. of swoop in and take your stuff because they're sneaking terms right, in and there. That's on purpose, yeah. right? Like they're they have long been resisting that change. Like this is, I mean, what was it when I started covering corporate credit? You know, I didn't cover loans as much um, or really ever for for a long time, and, and I don't know that I've like focused on loans ever. But my loan colleagues, you know, that that at Bloomberg we were very finely tranched as to what asset class and what type of thing we covered. And my loan colleagues, they were like, oh yeah, no, this we need fax machines. Like it's T plus yes. 30. Like it's literally like, and you're, I mean, that was like 2012. I don't got away with the fax machines like 10 minutes ago. Right. Yeah. I'm, it's like bond traders are like, they literally have two phones to their face with cords attached to them Yeah, still. And they love it. I know because that way it's a relationship. So badass. That way the bid ask stays nice and wide. Like yep. you get a lot more, it's more fun. It's more lucrative. It's more, you know, you, you have a lot more job security. And I think there are, those are a lot of reasons why they've managed to keep it protected in that way. It's a good point um, that like that lack of technology is what drives the, the like opportunity to outperform. But also in mm-hmm. your book, we, we kind of picked up some of these themes around PIMCO really getting efficient in the way they managed that inefficiency. Um, We spend a lot of time here talking about operational alpha. Can you talk about the operational excellence um, in those places? Yeah, so right. Yeah. Operational alpha is so real. And I'm so glad that that's like a drum that you beat because it's, I think it's underappreciated. And this does um, present a really clear shot for me where I can just get on my little soapbox about Pat Fisher, who was one of the, I would say, founders of PIMCO, um, who never even got made partner. No. Interesting. So weird. So random how that happened. But um, Mm. she basically helped to keep operations. She was like in charge of the back office and HR and occasionally the cash desk and many other things over her, her time at PIMCO. And the the importance of clean operations, you know, obviously if you're you're bad at settling trades, your trading partners, your counterparties are going to be less excited to trade with you. They're like, that person's a joke or I'm just not going to like go to them first because I don't know if I can 
believe with certainty that that trade will actually close and no one likes a failed trade. So, I mean, that's just like super baseline. But then furthermore, she instituted a process where she basically started giving the banks grades as to whether they got back to her in time, whether they were clean on their execution, whether they, you know, and, and just kind of keeping holding their feet to the fire. And once the banks got wind of this, they were like, oh, I want to be. I want to be on the top of that spreadsheet and just became much more competitive and therefore PIMCO's execution improved dramatically. So, you know, that's one example. She also, when they moved to a new building, she had uh, pneumatic tubes installed to reduce uh, errors between the trade floor and the back office because people would like come running up and be like, you know, like a, like a ticket would get lost in a drawer, you know, just so tangible, so literal like that. And, and that obviously causes great snarls and then the trader would be all mad and then the back office would be like it was just very dramatic and in order to reduce potential error in that way and like just keep things moving along she put pneumatic tubes you know you used to like i was gonna say we might we might need to explain to the the youth uh what a pneumatic tube is (laughs) using air technology (laughs) what i can only describe as a vacuum yeah vacuum is some some element of space um no you put you like you used to put it in like a little vhs cover which you get like a plastic box <laughs> the babes don't know what that is little yeah VHS no thank you for clarifying with vhs yeah exactly um so a little <laughs> little box you put your little ticket in a actually i think they would roll it up and um put that little tube in the larger pneumatic tube and it would go zoop yeah and then thunk, land on the other end of the office at, at pat fisher's you know in her domain and then they would get to you know enter the information correctly it would not end up crumpled in a drawer next to like an old banana so it would work out a lot better and i made up the banana part no one ever yeah <laughs> just for clarity but that is you know there were there were a bunch of different examples about this where pat fisher just like cleaned things up and made things work and like you know there's this one trade in 1983 that would have been truly impossible without that kind of operational efficiency Hmm. and cleanliness and the ability to be precise and be careful and be accurate i think enabled pimco to be early to mortgages to be early to financial futures to to capitalize on those markets before everybody else got there which just means years and years of extra alpha yeah which i mean like our listeners at home are like oh okay wow that sounds like pretty good yeah yeah Yeah, you want you want alpha Uh, i guess they do I and mean, they want to use if you're into that sort the of hyperloop thing. for mail. That's the way I would describe yeah. the pneumatic tube for the youth, yeah. the hyperloop for yeah, your mail. Exactly. Um, and just as you're like completely insane, you know, like why the heck do you yeah. need these tubes flying around? Anyway, uh, yeah. were you going to say something, Mary? No, I'm just thinking like it's hard today to envision because things are so much less tangible than they I were know. back then. You know, like everything is a digital pneumatic tube now. So it's a little bit like... It's harder to conceptualize, but what I like too about this example is that it is so easy. You're just like, oh, I see. Like it went zoop, and then it went thunk. Yeah, and I get it. <laughs> and that's easier than the other way, where everyone was crying and there were old bananas. And I think that like it's 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 less obvious, but there are obvious. There are still going to be ways, you know, to find these kinds of increased efficiencies and and just make things cleaner across the board. Yeah, it's interesting. It it kind of speaks to. The, the investment banks and the big fixed income managers, like there was always this investment in technology. And it, yeah. so it doesn't surprise me that they went to the pneumatic tube to get a little bit faster and a little bit more, um, you yeah. know, well-defined. Like if you go back to the history yeah. of technology and finance, you'll find carrier pigeons and other things like that. Quite. Um, 
But, but it's weird how hard. Sorry, no problem. It's weird how hard it is to move away from that. Like you look at the Citibank mistaken payment in 2020, where they accidentally sent 900 million dollars to the exact wrong or right people, and like that was preventable had they arguably had they upgraded that technology and invested in a different technology True. because that was just so antiquated and people say that about goldman and they say that about so there are you know we think of them as these kind of cutting edge informational technology superstars but there are ways in which it's just like not always necessarily immediately cost effective to address that stuff long term it's obviously. true there's a big tension yeah, as long as they stop turning in trading pro- profits, I'm right. sure that the perception of them as technological right. superstars will disappear. Absolutely. Somewhere. And this like idea that like the technology worked and so we're never going to change it until it stops working. Well, like we're constantly right. trying to use crises in this industry to like drive change. But right. the point here is to say they, there seems to be a willingness to spend on technology, but there's very little willingness to improve culture. And and one of the things that was I was in, that was my attempt at a transition. That was a really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, but but you will note, having read some books such as your book, but also Liars Poker. If you've read Liars Poker, yeah, of a kind, if you will, you will yes. see some certain culture on a bond trading floor that will seem outrageous, and mm-hmm. and it comes through at PIMCO as well. And so is there something yeah. about dominating the fixed income markets that just makes people jerks? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very good question. It's one I've thought a lot about. And I think, yes, I think there's something, well, first of all, it's no accident, right? Like the culture at Solomon was one that Bill Gross respected. Bill Gross loved the Solomon energy and wanted that explicitly wanted that like it was one of the few self-fight institutions that i think bill respected mm. and you'll see a lot of kind of carryover you know the the ceo for a long time bill thompson came from solomon brothers there was just a lot of kind of intentional adaptation of that and like bringing on of that you know that swagger and and i think i think it does help in fixed income because somewhat contrary to popular belief scale helps in fixed income there is sort of a uh, bullying and aggression to the actual trading that I think does result in, you know, more basis points. And actual bullying, after, right? adding value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that this, you know, there's this kind of longstanding debate as to whether or not PIMCO being hard on the street and mean to their Wall Street counterparties, if that was productive. People who have experienced it very often tell me that it's not. You know, they're like, I hated it and I'm not going to give them first look because they were so mean to me last time and like, it's just miserable. I think, you know, PIMCO kind of behaved this way the whole time throughout their um, their their ascent, sort of before it was justifiable from an AUM perspective. And I think it mm. was to their benefit. First of all, you established that reputation. Like, we're just, this is, yeah, we're PIMCO, you need our information flow. <laughs> right, like, that's just, oh, yeah. And that was, that's effective, <laughs> and that, that consistency, I think, is useful. Um, and then just being able to get, like being that scale and having that like brand as being aggressive and as being um, and having like asserted that you need my information flow. Therefore you must trade with me, even if it's not, you know, profitable to you that became true and that helped them to get, you know, anchor deals on new issue bonds, which is indeed still one of the places you can make more money. And I think that that's really critical that like the, the swagger and the bullying and the abuse, like, yeah, in the short run, it is bad for individual traders' relationships with their Wall Street sales coverage, yeah. but I think in the longer run, it does help PIMCO much, very regrettably. You know, I don't, I don't really like that conclusion, but 
So there, there's sort of like a, um, you know, first day in prison style yeah. lesson for upstart asset managers, <laughs> no. right? You know, where it's like, all right, you know, just take out the, <laughs> find the biggest primary dealer you can. Oh uh, my God. Just get those basis points and then tell everybody you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Make sure it's in the cafeteria. Just be or yeah, or get it pneumatic tubed mm -hmm. to everyone in your in your various divisions. I mean, that's so sad. But and hopefully it's changing. You know, I do think that in the pandemic, the you know so much more went electronic, went digital, and I think that that's like probably helpful. Mm. I don't know. I hate that this is where I've arrived. I do hate it. I just want to be clear. I think it's so funny. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think it's you can't know a lot about a thing and and be a blind optimist I about would love it. Um, you know, I'd love I love to unknow. I you know. One thing that like an angle that I haven't seen that many people dig into on your book is like, you know, you've written this, you know, I, I actually can't think of another, I mean, outside of like Warren Buffett related, you know, biographies. Um, I can't think of another like neurodiverse business leader um, that has the same kind of uh, profile as Bill yeah. Gross, um, you know, and like, I, you know, I, I, I guess like, I'm curious, you know, you've spent all this time with this guy, you've spent all this time with his legacy, yeah. um, right? And, you know, like, so what, what do folks like, you know, in the neurodiverse community take from, from his story, if anything? Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, there's an enormous cohort of people that just respect the bejesus out of this guy and would follow him anywhere, read his investment outlooks when they come out. You know, I think his, um, his website, people just like write into him all the time, like using that like contact form, um, just to tell him how much they respect him and that like he, you know, created this big thing. He's this great trader, whatever. Right? So I think that's, that's alive and well. And that's both like extremely retail investors, like a me, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know this guy explains things really lucidly and I appreciate that about him. And then it's also just like mutual fund managers, RIAs, like all like people in the industry professionally too, who, who have learned from him and followed him for so long. And he has this like very strong reputation in that way. I think there's also a um, a cohort of people who think that he was the beneficiary of a bull market and he's like, you know, not that impressive. And those people I'm like, hmm, I mean, in both cases, you got to take it with a little salt. I think he's neither a god nor just lucky. Mm. But um, but his legacy is, you know, he did create largely this market and then he publicized it mm. and he's not. In, in my view, he's really just not just lucky. Mm. Yes, he was lucky. We were all lucky. Um, there were a lot of other people who could have ridden that same wave and, and some did. But I do think like he combined it with this kind of larger than life personality. He wanted to be famous. He went on Wall Street Week all the time. This PBS show every Friday night that was like the benchmark show. If you cared about Wall Street, you watched this show. And being the face of the bond market was very helpful for him and very, you know, I think helpful in establishing PIMCO as a company and as that, you know, aforementioned aggressive brand. But I, and I think that's, that's all real to me. Now, in his later years, I do think his legacy has changed somewhat, um, regrettably, you know, I think the more public spats he's gotten in have been um, unhelpful, but they do kind of demonstrate fundamentally similar personality traits that were effective in the bond market and are less effective in bilateral social dealings. <laughs> um, yeah, like so hypothetical, like you know, blasting loud music at all hours uh, to 
wring some concessions out of your neighbor, you know, all of that, exactly. you know, sque- squeezing a basis point wherever you can get it. Exactly. I love it. Like one thing that, that rewarded him for so long and has to be hardwired at this point is he was constrained. His universe was constrained intentionally. It was, he competed against the benchmark, right? And this universe appears who were also competing against the benchmark. But if you make your benchmark, your neighbor, like you're never going to win. There's no like everyone. It just doesn't have the same outcome. It doesn't have you can't win in the same way. And I think that that is, you know, if you've fashioned your life around constantly having a competitor, having a benchmark, that it's hard to it's hard to leave that. Yeah, I mean, like and speaking of leaving that, I mean, like, I, I think your depictions of the PIMCO workspace were um, kind of like, you know, I, I guess I serve they serve, you know, to me as like affirmation of, you know, not taking a road, mm-hmm. you know, that taken me to a trading floor in Hunting Beach, you know, California. Right. Um, but the, you know, more than that, like, you know, the picture of the firm's culture that came out was very, I don't know, is weird, does weird cover it? Uh, <laughs> Weird's one word. I've heard that word used, yes, by sources and otherwise. I like intense. I feel mm-hmm. like that captures a lot. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, petty. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The I talked to so many people about this, and and one of the main things. I mean, obviously, I ever talked to a bajillion people for this book, but one of the things that came through was that it's just such a closed circuit. Mm-hmm. Someone likened it to prison. Mm-hmm. So your earlier mm-hmm. analogy is not dissimilar. Where it's like, you know, you can't. It's in Newport Beach. There's not that much else to do. Pimco is kind of the only game in town in Newport Beach. So you're there. You're stuck and you're in this like you work so many hours that you go home you go to sleep you wake up you come back like that's your whole life you might have a family congratulations but like that's not like you're substantially the the like interpersonal dynamics that you're going to care about the things that you're that are occupying your mind are going to be your things at work and you can't escape there's no way to like go to get drinks with your friend at Citigroup and they're like well you know I heard that Brevin Howard is hiring and Mm -hmm. you're like oh my god like that just doesn't happen to the same extent in Newport Beach and I think that that closed circuit makes the stakes so much higher and all of these interactions and makes everyone act so much worse like if you have if you're playing with more cards if you have more diverse options if you're able to kind of move fluidly between firms or you know at least even in different social interactions and social dynamics you get kind of a brain cleanse you know you get to reset and i don't think that is available in newport beach that's, I mean, like, honestly, I wasn't even thinking about this, but probably a great, a great, uh, you know, and pregnant takeaway for yeah. our listeners who are at, you know, institutions that are, you know, located a little bit out in the sticks. You know, you know, um, you know yeah, well, but yeah. I was just, <laughs> shout yeah. out to Alaska. Permanent. Yeah. What up? <laughs> and not to suggest increasing your carbon footprint, but in that in that vein, like, yeah, travel is good. Like going to see your colleagues and like former co-workers who are now at, you know, place that is not Juno yeah is helpful is mentally helpful and keeps you kind of healthy and fresh at your place of work and like sane keeps you able to like see see the stakes more clearly I think the 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 one thing I want to kind of leave you know end the conversation with is kind of like you know like I guess one of my signature too deep questions (laughs) trademark trademark. um you know but I'm, I'm curious like the you know you've studied this legendary um, right. You've gotten to the point where you have unpublished footnotes about him and, you know, all kinds of, you know, premonitions and vibes and whatnot <laughs> um, and a sense of how occupying that office affected his life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what have you learned about just that space that he occupied? Um, 
you know, through the course of, 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 of writing this book? Do you think it's a healthy thing to exist? No. I mean, this is going to sound a little trite, <laughs> mm. but I think it's really lonely. Mm. I think mm. it's, you know, he does have friends, which people don't think that he does, which is also itself quite sad. Um, I met some of his friends and, and they are real. And I think that, <laughs> so I can confirm, but it is lonely. Like you become so powerful and so, you know, rich and so influential and so important and a legend and da, da, da. and that's maybe what you wanted. Maybe that's what mm. you fashioned your entire career after. But once you get there, or even on the path to getting there, you know, your co like in this, in his case, I'll stop using the second person. Cause okay. We're only so many of us are Bill Gross in, in his case, like, his co-founders fell away. You know, they retired. They moved on. His peers fell away to a large extent. Some are still still around and still active. But it was harder and harder for him to trust people, mm. in part because they were new to him, in part because he's like, I don't, I just don't know you for that long. Like, he, I think it's trust is kind of a hard thing for him and maybe all humans. And after a while, everyone like there, there, there comes this distance between him and the rest of the world. And, and I mean that within just the firm where he couldn't, you know, everyone's like trying to get something from him. Everyone's trying to make eye contact and like, do like, you know, score a point in a, in a meeting. And it's just, I think the the intensity of that, he thinks of himself as shy hmm. and introverted and insecure. And it should be noted also autistic, you know, he's gotten a diagnosis and I think before, you know, all of this went down basically in 2014. And I think we had a far lesser appreciation for neurodivergence and what that means, especially in the workplace. And I, I don't know if that would play out differently today. Um, but I think the, the chasm between him and the rest of the firm, like they didn't see him as insecure. They didn't see him as just shy and introverted. They were like, this guy's a jerk. Like he's not, you know, that he's coming to work with all these like barbs and he's being mean to me in a meeting and like, why? And so I think the difference in, in you know, <sighs> occupying that seat for as long as he did and being that legend, I think, is super isolating. Hmm. And there's almost no way around it. Like, what are you going to call Bill Gates and, like, try to bro down? Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. You know, you keep your high school friends or whatever, but yeah. it's just a lonely existence. It's hearing you talk mm. about it, it reminds like there's you can start to think about like what it is to be Ray Dalio at Bridgewater or or pick pick one yeah. of these like legendary Quite. managers that almost invented an industry. By the way, like mm -hmm. ridiculous culture and like you know yeah, some yeah. like real weird stuff <laughs> going on there in Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. Like sounds very mm -hmm. similar to to Pimco in that sense, but. Um, yeah, just fascinating to hear you describe it and, and like lucky that you got to go in and kind of diagnose it, you know, the culture and the organization. Yeah. I do feel lucky that I got such access and, and that people were so willing to talk to me, you know, of course, including Bill. I will say like, I was just reading his most recent investment outlook, which, you know, he's still publishing them. Hmm. And, and this one was talking about... Um, it's better to have been a billionaire. It is better to move through the second half of life as a billionaire rather than the alternative. More stressful, but many more chances to buy temporary happiness as with a private plane or a nonchalant attitude toward medical bills. Okay, so I don't know that I would... I think more stressful is not what he meant, <laughs> generously. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't... I understand that there is stress that comes with being a billionaire. And indeed, I would argue that's a great reason to give away your money and not be a billionaire anymore. Congratulations. Like, we have a solution. It's available to you. But at the same time, I, the yeah, cure. exactly. Like, let me know if you need help thinking this through. I'm happy to think it through yeah. you. But I think, um, yeah, the stress is, is different in kind, and that matters a lot. 
just have to say it. It's awesome. Wow, that's I mean, well, look, I, I honestly I can't recommend the book enough. I was laughing out loud. I we were Thank gonna you. do this as our beach reads episode, and then nice. literally all of us got COVID. Yeah, every single <laughs> one of us. Good time. Here we are, though. We made it. We made it through. Did anyone lose taste and smell? No. Um. Yeah. I mean, like only the usual amount of tastelessness for yeah, me. Yeah. Um. I was like out for ten days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty dysfunctional, but um. But here we are, and I'm proud of us for getting through. Absolutely. Yeah, we made a podcast and everything. Who says that we're just a bunch of useless influencers? Come on. Uh, Mary Childs, thank you so much for joining us on the Free Money Podcast. Thank you. This was really fun. It's the Bond King. Uh, It was a blast. Awesome book. Thanks. I appreciate it. Bye. 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 Outstanding. I I mean, like, I I can't recommend that book enough. It's like, you know, it's just, you know, the, when you get to actually get inside a story of the industry modernizing over 40 years, you know, that's so rare, you know. And the, But also the cultural and the leadership elements of these organizations are just astounding and repetitive. They're astoundingly repetitive, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's like, gosh, do we have to deal with uh, – like? I see a lot of these types, both both in like venture capital world, but also in an entrepreneurship world. Like something about these superstars that redefine industries, they see the world differently. And whether that is, you know comes with a, a label or it is just something about their creativity, you know, I've I've always had that thought rattling in my head. Like some of these people who are legends, like yeah. They see the world differently in yeah, part well, because that's how their brain is wired. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that if you look at, you know, st- like the standard, like the story that you're supposed to tell, if you are trying to go in and get a job as like, you know, an equity analyst or something like that, um, you know, would be like, oh, yeah, I used to memorize baseball cards. Um, you know, I'm really like fascinated with like price and like haggling or whatever, like, I, but like you know, fixations and uh, memorization and, you know, deep special interests that are hard to explain to people are, you know, really kind of common denominators of a lot of special, a lot of like distinctive investing strategies, Um, you know, and like, I, I kind of feel like you have to be at least a little bit weird to amass any kind of successful record in this business. Like you should be a weirdo, but I don't think we, I don't think we in this industry, and I know, especially on the LP side, when, when, they're doing due diligence on new managers. It's it's like they're actually trying to weird out. Sorry, weed out weirdos. <laughs> it's like yeah. It's like the governance is like, oh no, no, we gotta avoid these weirdos. We gotta make sure they take all these. Mm. But actually, it's these people who see the world differently. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it. I just find it really fascinating. Read the book. Yeah, read the book. And, and but yeah, it's I mean, yet another case in point and reason for us to think about, you know, kind of uh, are there ways that we're being blind to people who think differently than us? Um, you know, and like particularly with neurodiversity, I think it's like important to consider that we may not have operative mental models for the way that people experience sensations like, you know, loud sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there are like you, like people in, who share open plan offices may literally have a colleague who experiences a loud sound as physical mm. pain, um, you know, and like I, I just think we're really in the early stages of just 
building empathy uh, around that. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, realizing, you know, that, you know, little kids who have cognitive differences can grow up to be captains of industry. Yeah. And if you go work at Bridgewater for a decade, you may end up with your own label of neuro neurodiversity. I, I've heard it used in that way. Like, oh, they were at Bridgewater for a long time. And, and that's why they're so, <laughs> that's why they're so direct. And it's like, wow. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, like. Because the culture, that, just for people I, to know, I, I, I've heard is that radical too. candor. That's like, and they record every yeah. single meeting. Yeah. And so. Yep. And you've got like instant ratings of each other on an iPad app. Like it's very intense over there. It's literally a, a Black Mirror episode. I mean, like it, it, it just, you know, it wouldn't rate as a Black Mirror episode because it's like too normal. But yeah, like, you know, the you have, I mean, I, I love um, Bloomberg columnist Matt Levine has this like, you know, mental model of Bridgewater that he trots out a fair bit where he's like, um, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, at Bridgewater, the computer's uh, you know, set everything up so that the, that, that the humans don't get in their way, um, <laughs> and engineer all of these like you know contentious That's meetings right. and, and stuff like that. That's hilarious. You know, just so that the algorithm has its has its way. That's right. Very very powerful stuff. Anyway, what's been hard for you lately, my friend? Oh, well, first of all, <laughs> it, like it, sometimes I find the the drive time shows I gotta like slap my face a couple times because it's a little bit early. Oh yeah. Whew. Yeah, you're you're really you, you're bearing the brunt of the drive time shows, you know, because because out there on the California, uh, I mean, this is like you know a very breezy lunchtime hour. For yeah, out here. it's all good. I mean, I'm loving it because you know we we come in, we're fresh, we got some good ideas, not burned out by the day, but also, <laughs> um, yep, it's a little bit harder to just get myself like wrapped around the free money vibe. Uh, but that's not what's hard. I think what's hard is. Um, Actually, what she, what Mary brought up in there is about like how you maintain friendly relationships when you're building all these things. And I think I just mm. had this like reflection coming out of vacation I had where we invited two two friends and families to vacation, and it was like this realization that like I don't see non-work people very much, and it's yeah. awesome when I get the chance to hang out with non-work people. You know, I think I suck at like maintaining friendships with people I don't have like actual work projects. Um, I need to like learn to just dial phone numbers more or something. <laughs> I, I blame myself, but I don't know. Friends. It's, I, I, I think, I think that there's a life cycle to friendships. Um, you know, like I, I've always been one of those people who's like hyper ADHD. And so like, I, I kind of like, you know, have been experience i've de developed some experience i should say at, at you know giving myself a break for not texting people mm. and stuff like that um you know but like the you know it, it there's like now in my old age at you know 34 uh there are a number of people mm. i've lost touch with that i wish i didn't you yeah know? um i assume i assume that's only gonna get worse I think um you know it start. i mean i'm 45 so jeepers but it's like i think i'm it's just a little bit of a tragedy that like in order for me to be your friend <clears throat> we got to work together that's how it feels and maybe it's just mm. that like i'm in a phase of life too right now where I'm, I'm building a whole bunch of different stuff and i have kids and i'm trying to take care of my own health and 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 that means that like when somebody says, Hey, let's grab dinner. I get, the, and I yep. feel terrible, but I have a lot of friends that are like, Hey, let's grab dinner in the city sometime or let, let's go, you know, get a drink. And it's in the back of my mind. I'm just like, 
yeah, that's not gonna happen. That's just not gonna happen. Yeah, I, I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's like I don't even I don't even go on dates with my wife practically because the the shit is too hard to organize. It's like I'm gonna organize this stuff and go out for a dinner with people that aren't my family or isn't a work. I, yeah, it just a, feels like so hard to fathom. And I just need to get better at it. I, I mean, like, I think you also need to give yourself some space, you know, um, to like, you know, cause I, like, I think that like, you know, though it's like, you know, it's, you know, I, I, there's this like great thing that I, I remember from like a group therapy session a million years ago called, are you, are you shooting on yourself? <laughs> um i should you know, where that's what you're saying yeah. the word should oh. yeah exactly yeah like like when you're when you're saying like i should x i should y yeah. like you're shooting all over yourself should happen um you know what i mean yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um you know and like I, I i think like you know i used to have this thing where i would like sleep in and then feel like the biggest piece of crap in the entire world um you know and like I, and i would be like well i could have done so many things in that day you know um, but here I am, I slept until 2 PM. I'm such a piece of trash. Hmm. And like one of my therapists was like, Sloan, you should really reframe the way you're talking to yourself about that. Um, instead of saying I'm such a piece of hot garbage, try saying I needed that. Hmm. Um, you know, like it, when you wake up at 2, 2 PM, wow, I needed that. Yeah. You know, I mean like, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, like literally say those words. Yeah. Like how you like, talk and, yourself and matters. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's stupid. It's like we are these hairless apes, but these like, you know, saying stuff like that aloud and, and like watching our self-talk is like such a I mean, mm. I say this, you know, because I've been fighting my demons for a long time. <laughs> Basically, that's why we do the podcast, right? We're, we'd like come, yeah. just like cathartic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you what What's hard for you? Aside from um, all the stuff we just talked about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, aside from everything, um, I don't know. I, you know, I'll go with, uh, um, you know, sleep's been a little tough recently. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, like a very exciting phase. I've got a lot of stuff to do. Um, mm. You know, but the downside is that that means I'm working about seventy-five hours a week, which is Oof. a lot. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, is it that I, when you lay down in bed you can't sleep, or is that you're not sleeping because you're working so much? It's that when I like I I you know I can stop working, but when I go to bed I can't sleep. Right. Yep. Um. You know, and it's like, and, and the thing is, like, the thing that sucks is that a lot of my best ideas come at like one thirty in the morning. Um. You know, and it's like it's the shower thought or whatever, and and it's like. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny. Like, I think the basics just get more and more important every year, baby. Crossing sleeping laundering yourself i've been investing in sleep right there pretty pretty hardcore i mean this is going to sound embarrassing because i i invested in one of these like eight sleep mattress covers which changes sleep it's e-i-g-h-t and it Mm. comes with an app and i am outing myself as like one of these tech tech nerds but it has it's cool the it changes the temperature of your bed throughout the night to maximize mm. the likelihood that you attain deep sleep. And um, mm. as somebody who likes a really cold bed and my wife likes a really warm bed, you can actually change the temperature on each side of the bed. Oh, wow. Better living through uh, pneumatic innovation right there, baby. Yep. Oh, yeah. The, this is the hyperloop of beds. Equally Oh, insane. my God. 
It's just what we needed this whole time. <laughs> anyway, I know it's, uh, you can get a cheap one that's just a cover, which is what we did. I mean, cheap. It's still like a thousand bucks or something. But it's um, mm. you know, the mattress is like beyond reasonable. So uh, check it out. I will. Yep. I mean, you know, and speaking of very sudden transitions. <laughs> Wow. Um, I recently learned, beloved listeners, that our question and answer form on the website has not been working for an unknown period of time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I learned this because our guest on the next show uh, this was like, I asked a question. Did you get it? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, so, um, yeah, I, uh, I apologize to you. Uh, if you if have, you have posted something on the website. Our website doesn't work. Yeah, Apologies. we're working on it. I mean, you know, it, it, like I, it's funny. I was I was under the hood on the website. It does get better every year uh, around yes. this time. You know, uh, like when we when we get fussed fussed up about. You it. can but always email us or free money pod. Uh, I, I've gotten a question given to me in a Slack, uh, mm. which we've had, if you remember. So, so there's yep, other yep, ways. What yeah, other yeah ways I mean, like have? it's there's a you know you can do uh, on Twitter at free money for twenty sixty nine, um, you know. But yeah, I mean, like email, Twitter. Email, I mean, you could do smoke signals, like the you know they still have those those planes at the beach that fly little banners around. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could skywriting. Like, Maybe skywriting. not yeah, you, smoke. I don't know how to interpret smoke signals, but I can read skywriting. It, know, yeah, just smoke. Like, fly by Ashby's house. It's like. You, you know, with a banner that's like, is there such a thing as a liquidity premium? <laughs> anyway, this is the segment where we answer questions from guests. The first question we have for Dr. Ashby Monk is, do you have any thoughts about hashtag degrowth? And I had to hashtag Google that because nice. I didn't know what degrowth was at first. And now I do. And uh, for those of you that were in the same camp as me, degrowth is about saying, well, capitalism seems to at times put well-being um, behind the profit motive. And should we instead put well-being ahead of the profit motive? Is that your understanding of what it means? Yeah, basically, it's like, you know, the my understanding of it is that, like, it's basically the critique that economies around the world are organized for perpetual growth. Um, and you know, that that goal may not be aligned with human flourishing. It, I, I have sympathy for it. I just think that it's like all of these things that the, um, solution doesn't quite read on what the problem is that we're trying to solve for. If we're mm. trying to raise all boats, I'm okay with an ambitious humanity I think we just need to put constraints around that ambition and find a way for profit and purpose to coexist. Um, I don't know. Like I, I really do believe we as a species are going to be interplanetary and that we're going to get free energy out of the sun. Uh, and I don't <laughs> think that happens unless we continue to grow. We need to grow better. Um, but I don't think like shutting down our ambitions as a species is necessarily like the path to flourishing and making everybody happy. I think yeah. we need to continue, continue like to shoot for the stars. It, and, yeah. Um, well, it, it seems like kind of a small idea with a big name in, in the sense mm. that it's like very like memey and trendy to think about. 
you know, where it's like, well, what if we organized our degrowth? Degrowth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We the just ASMR. stop growing. Yeah, yeah. The ASMR voice. Mean? Well, yeah. well, like, I mean, you know, the idea would be like, okay, so, you know, let's, I mean, if you think about, you know, the Chinese model of growth, like where, you know, it's like, let's, you know, bulldoze a highway and then put in another highway or whatever to meet a number. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that caricature is what a lot of progressives have of the economic model that we've been pursuing as a hmm. global society for a while. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and like the, you know, so I think it emerges as a critique of waste, um, and inefficiency and misalignment, you know, with like kind of the underlying society, um, you know, and like, it sort of fails to fully be practical as a guy, as a, a guidepost for, for people who are doing stuff. Um, you know, cause like the, I, I think about the organizations that I'm like invested in or whatever. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm not out here trying to, you know, pick the 20 hottest growth stocks in the world or whatever, but I don't think that their situation or their impact would be materially improved by them scaling down their growth plans. There's also an argument here which I think is in, is about like, I don't think we should stop at this point. Like, unfortunately, I don't, uh, we, we decided through the industrial revolution and, you know, through till now that we were going to raise humanity up out of poverty and, and build industry and healthcare and, you know, all the stuff, right? We've got a helicopter flying around on Mars right now. So, so there's like interesting things going on, but if we stop now, I think we would be stopping at a very dirty, inefficient moment in human history. Mm -hmm. And and so you could, in theory, go back to the the era where we weren't em emitting a lot. But to stop growth now, I think puts us on a trajectory that is quite um, risky. Yeah. And you know, in in my own life, we joke around like you know my personal net zero commitment 2050. But the reality is like my own living has gotten much cleaner and more sustainable even in the last five years. I drive an electric yeah. car, I have solar on the roof, you know, like I'm, I'm using the water that we use in the bathtub to water the plants. It's like all this sustainable, resilient, um, efficient living is happening as we kind of enter into this next phase. And so I wouldn't want to hinder capitalism from delivering all of that sustainability and efficiency. Um, mm, we've know, come I too do, far in a way. I do like the idea of like everyone sitting around at a negotiating table at the UN or something like that. And the progressives having something they can really scare the corporations with so that they, uh, you know, so that they can actually enact some pretty toothy regulations. Um, you know, like, I, I think that like, if you can, if you can go out there and be like, Hey, Bernie Sanders is talking about degrowth. Uh, you know, all we're, all we're trying to do is like, you know, uh, you know, give you a couple, you know, carbon taxes or whatever, or use taxes or whatever, you know, I, like, I, I feel like, um, in a way it moves the Overton window towards more regulation, um, you know, which is probably a good ish thing. Um, it's interesting the, the, the argument you just made, I feel like is why we still experience climate deniers. Because mm. they they are they are aware that the climate crisis can be leveraged for a left agenda around regulation, mm. which I think is probably okay because I want to actually make sure our families survive on this planet for a long time. I don't think we're interplanetary for a you long time. Even if we, 
even if we got to interplanetary levels, it won't be nice. You're going to be living yeah. in a very uncomfortable life on Mars. Um, you're not swimming in the beach on my Belizean island. Yeah, luxury uh, space communism. That's what that's what the goal is here. That's what you know. <laughs> that's what George Washington inscribed on a secret napkin and you know put on the back of the Declaration of Independence. The don't look up where those guys get on. Literally, they get on a spaceship, they get to that planet, and then they get eaten. Right? Uh, yep. Sorry, did I just spoil it? Sorry. Uh, we yeah, could. Right. No. Do, yeah. Anyway, people Nobody will forget if they watch. Nobody. Yeah. Um, but the point is, so I'm I'm all for using the climate crisis to make sure that we're growing in a more sustainable way. I think like the fact that we are using the climate crisis, that, that is why you still find people on the right saying things like mm. SEC comment letters this year yeah. saying yep. no, things yeah. like carbon dioxide is a is a gas that we need to grow plants. Like, what are you talking about? This is a pollutant. Like, there's a whole thing written by this guy at MIT that has been circulating. Oh, God. And, and it's like wild, you know, that people are still making these arguments but i think they're making it for the same re reason that people on the left are making the hey we got to use climate change to get regulation this is all a battle mm -hmm. over how much regulation anywho uh that's a great yeah i mean like you know the 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 never-ending bat regulation battle um this is a really like I, I i do not know what to think about this question um okay, hit me this year pensions are expected to be among the largest sellers of interests in private equity funds on the secondary market what yep. do you make of this? Is it some kind of harbinger? It's not a it's not a harbinger. It is actually a reflection of um, strategic asset allocation and getting out of target. And so what you're finding is what we all know and what one of the reasons why so many pension funds like private equity has nothing to do with the risk return profile of the private equity it has to do with the fact that the marks are accounting marks. And so they don't move as quickly. And that is actually useful if you're a pension fund in a crisis to maintain your net asset value. Um, and so you, if you're a public pension plan, your public stocks drop 30%. Your private marks may only drop 5% or even be flat. And that is a buffer. Now, that doesn't mm. mean if those assets were actually meant to be sold, that they wouldn't be sold at a discount. They would be, but the marks in there are more resilient, not because the assets are resilient, but because of the counting treatment. So all mm. that is to say, you're seeing a lot of pension funds that had their other assets move um, quickly in terms of prices. So you went from having a 50% exposure to public equities and your 12% exposure to private equities. Well, all of a sudden, your public equities dropped considerably, and now that's at 38%, and your private equity is now sitting at 17% of your portfolio, something like mm, that. Gotcha, gotcha. And you are obligated, according to your rules, to get yourself back to target within a certain amount of period. And that, I think, at least I think I read something in the FT probably about three weeks ago, where a lot of public pension plans were exploring secondaries just as a way to get back into their weightings so hmm. that they could buy more equity public equities with their private equity um you know buffer that makes sense i mean like hey that's uh that's a story that you don't hear often you know pension funds you know running to uh allocate to public equity uh um, yeah re rebalancing is what we would call it 
but rebalancing <laughs> from the e-liquid yeah. asset into the liquid asset. Usually the liquid asset is that kind of um, valve, you know, the stress valve. It's like we use that to buffer. But if markets move too much, like they they've did in the last half year, um, you're sort of obligated to then look to your other asset classes like private equity. And so that's been happening. I don't think this has to do with people finally giving up on private equity as a return driver. Somehow, you know, I, I think that that is going to be the thing that people are forecasting for the entire rest of my life. Um, you know, the death of private equity. Um, know. You know, um, all right. So this this one, this last question uh, is for me. I tweeted this out yesterday and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Um, so I, I keep trying to be one of these considerate handwritten notes people. Um, but my handwriting I love is that. terrible. Uh, like by ter by terrible, I mean like I got extra time on the SATs because my handwriting was so bad. Um, like wow. I got to take it in a completely different room, uh, in a proctored environment, you know, et cetera. You know, like the whole special Amazing. treatment, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, and of course that means that the notes that I write wind up looking like they were written by a child. Um, should I just you know let my freak flag fly? What do you think? I I had an idea here, which which I've done a lot of, which is to type notes out, not on a typewriter, mm -hmm, but print, mm -hmm. print them out and, and then sign them with blue ink and to write a friendly PS. That's a good you know? idea. That's a because good idea. it feels like I mean, the the writing can still be personal. And the fact yeah. that you've printed something out and put your mark on it mm -hmm. with a signature and then a PS with a smiley face and a a little drawing or something. I like that. I get that a lot. In fact, I feel like I got a note like that. Um, who was the chairman of the Yale endowment? Uh, Charlie Ellis. <laughs> Charlie yeah. Ellis. Yeah. 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 One and only. He wrote me this nice note. He was like, dear Ashley. I was Aww. like, wait, that's not my name. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he got it right, actually. But that would have been like hilarious if, you know, I'm telling this story about the superstar and he got my name wrong. <laughs> um, yes, he, he, but he typed it up and then he wrote a nice PS at the bottom. And I, I found that quite nice. And it's actually mm. sitting in my office at, at Stanford. I pinned it up. I liked it so much. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's very encouraging. I mean, it's, you know, it's better than my, you know, fallback strategy of like, you know, basically doing one of those five-year-old portraits of like me and the person I'm writing the letter to, just like yeah. standing and smiling. You know, like, hi, you know, by Sloan Artell, age 34. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and just sort of like trying to make a side market for myself as as an artiste. Um, I love it that you're handwriting notes. It it is. I mean, you know, not not art. too many, not too many. You know. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, know when I, I was I think... living in Europe, I was a big postcard writer. And I would yeah. write postcards to people that I that I don't think even expected to get postcards from me. It's a really nice. That's a good way to keep up with old friends. Um, that is, you, can, you know, like my my grandmother is like the queen of keeping up with people. Um, mm. And part of how she does it is she just has this insane Christmas card collection that she, you know, oh. like has been in touch with for you know this group of people she's been in touch with forever and and whatnot. You know, I, I don't like, do that. I don't do the holiday cards. I get a lot of holiday cards and I'm always voraciously reading them, mm, but I'm, mm. I don't do them. This might be because, the year. Yeah. I just don't know how to do it. I guess yeah, I will what... take the family photo and 
print them it up. It seems very stressful. And like, you know, oh yeah, by the way, just go find all of your friends' real world addresses. That's not going to be stressful. Totes. Like what kind of psychopath is sitting around with a, like, you know, a hundred friends mailing addresses? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> what do you I don't got know. for I don't our... know anybody's? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I thought I, I could, I would probably wind up like Googling it and sending it to people's work addresses. Um, what kind of garden tips you got for me this week? I think that was oh, our wait, sound yeah, effect. Maybe, yeah, maybe sorry. sound effect. Maybe sound effect. Uh, <laughs> wait. Wow. The suspense is just... All right, well, I mean... Nope. Okay, I'm giving up wow, on this, your sound effect. This, Hit me during like, my... This is almost too good of a platform. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite is when you then finally just ha- hit the uh, Riverside FM or whatever, because like you can you can always do their. Um... Oh yeah, the, yeah. Well, I was trying to play that actually, and it wouldn't play. Oh, okay, shit. All right, <laughs> never mind. Uh, my garden tip is um, part tip, part app. Mm. Uh, the tip. It's just very simple. Mandevila. It's a plant. Mandevila. Hmm. Yeah. It is so beautiful. It is a vine. And we've put it in pots in our backyard. And it climbs up and around and frames this area that looks out onto our grass. And it's these, it's, um, they call it uh, Brazilian trumpets, I think. I think it's some, but they're like red looking trumpets. And they flower for like four months. It's insane. And so I would say like the tip of the lifetime is to just like get Mandevila planted because it does take a long time for them to grow up and get to that point where you're framing something. But to put one on each side of something that you can envision having, you know, gorgeous vines climbing around. The other thing that I was thinking the other day is um, part of becoming like, a reasonably sophisticated gardener is understanding the plants that are in your environs, your geography. Mm -hmm. And I am terrible at names and I'm terrible at remembering, but there is this app I've been using for the like last three or four years called picture this. Oh, she's a beaut. She's a beaut. And I have a professional, uh, subscription. I think it costs me upwards of $25 a year. Wow. I'm on picture this pro and it is worth it because when I take a picture of a plant out there, it's all, it's almost always right. It's so technologized. It's nuts. You can watch it scanning the picture and then it comes back and tells you everything you want to know about the plant. And the pro license lets you take pictures of your own plants and diagnose them for problems. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's I under I have a subscription to that app, but I way underutilize it. Uh, although I will say, like, it makes walking around in the neighborhood just so much more fun because I can like totally. It's like playing Pokemon. You know, you're just like it oh, is like I, Pokemon. There's yeah. a map too, and it what what you do is you're walking around. It will show you the pictures you took on a map. Oh wow! There's a map wow. functionality. It, well, that's I mean that's pretty great, and then you get the time lapse. Oof. I mean, the garden tech they're building these days is so innovative. I know. Um, you I know, know. I, I, I'm glad you brought up climbers because they are what a beaut. Um, you know, I the have best. a lot of heartbreak with climbers. 
And every single time it's because I did a stupid thing. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't build my climbing structure before I planted my climber. Um, yeah. You know, I sort of figured I would fill it in later. Um, and I, you know, everyone out there is like, Sloan, you're such an idiot. How could you do a thing like that? You they know, might you're not, not be doing it. They might not be saying that, but I know they're probably, they're probably like, I don't even know why I listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you're planning your plants without they listen building for a, the guests without building a trellis. Like is this woman insane. Um, <laughs> no, but like the, you know, like Ashby says, put your, put your plants somewhere that you could see them growing in. You know, I, I would underline, you know, see them growing in. Uh, yeah, I can like, see climbers behind you right now. Oh yeah. Those are my wall climbers. Those are my, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know? I, I sort of, you know, actually what inspired, uh, this is another, another podcast alumnus, Jay Littman is making these great YouTube video or, um, LinkedIn videos, uh, yeah. for his company ethic about sustainable investing. And I was like, you know, how's he get to be so smart and brilliant? I want to make yeah. good videos too. Um, for real and i was like what's his secret his secret obviously is that he has plants behind him. that is true there are a lot of plants in those videos yeah. it's a lot of greenery yeah. it looks like yeah. a sustainable office space i can't match his accent but uh and you know jay I, sounds quite smart it yeah and he yeah. is it, look to give him credit he may be also quite smart <laughs> but the nice plants and guy, the yeah. accent plants and the accent they do that does 80 percent of the work i'm hoping i can i can skate by on just plants <laughs> me too. Uh, My Canadian Californian accent is not giving me the amazing I mean, I don't know. It's the, you got the, you know, you got the that's the global accent, you know. Um True. but yeah, like I I I we all know how bad I am at accents. I'm not going to do them uh and punish the audience. Um Governor. I think Oh no. <laughs> <Sorry>. No. <laughs> I've been getting in trouble recently. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything else to tell people? I don't know if I do. I think I'm out of. I think my brain is blank. Are we back on tomorrow? Uh, one more day. One more day. Okay. One more day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a bit more time getting my news. I got a bit more time for news. <laughs> tomorrow, your Canada. Tomorrow. <laughs> What's that bye. show about? Bye. 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 Uh, bye. <laughs> Rain on them.